This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Katie Balls, political editor of The Spectator, and Paul Goodman, editor of Conservative Home. Um, now, Katie, what's the latest on the whole Boris Rishi Nadine drama? Well, it's still going. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Ultimately, Nadine Doris has hit out on various platforms uh, in a column in the Daily Mail, uh, which is usually, as we know, pretty supportive of Boris Johnson, and also on Talk TV, saying sinister forces stopped her peerage. Um, Now, we actually know one of these sinister forces, or alleged ones. Formerly of this parish, James Forsyth, the political secretary, has been accused, alongside Rishi Sunak, of um, making it very difficult, not letting Nadine Doris know what she needed to know in order to go through the vetting process. This has, as you would expect, uh, received a pretty strong rebuke from the Cabinet Office, um, from figures in Number 10, who are pointing out that the way this vetting process works and actually suggesting that if anyone is giving the wrong instructions here, it would have been Boris Johnson, given he would have been briefed on how exactly the process works and the problem in terms of sitting MPs needing to quit within six months. So we're in a situation where it feels as though neither side is really going to move. I think Boris Johnson's line has evolved in recent days. Um, So... On Friday, you had the suggestion from Team Johnson that the Prime Minister had edited the list when it got back from HOLAC, so the official vetting procedure. Then it became that the Prime Minister edited the list before it went to the House of Lords vetting procedure, HOLAC. Later, it was the gentleman's promise that Rishi Sunak is accused of breaking in that private meeting. Um, You have number 10 saying that no promise was made. There were at least two government aides in the room who heard what was being said. And the prime minister said, you you cannot leave this meeting and effectively think you're going to get all these peerages through. Of course, and then it moved to James Forsyth, not the prime minister. And I think where we're at now is uh, claims that Boris Johnson was told as early as February that Nadine Doris would not make it onto the list. And the Boris Johnson line, of which we had from yesterday, is that he didn't ask uh, Rishi Sunak to override the list or Holex recommendations. Instead, he just asked him to resubmit it. And uh, figures in government suggest that that is a misunderstanding of how the system works. So I'm not sure this made any clearer for you, James. Um, but that is where we got to in terms of the various declarations. I think we're now obviously, and we'll come to this later in the podcast, heading towards the next row, which is on the Privileges Committee. Um, but on period. I think Nadine Doris is clearly very upset. I don't think we're going to have a situation where she comes around to number 10's way of thinking or vice versa. So it comes to a question of who do you trust more? Is it Boris Johnson and Nadine Doris and what she uh, has been told on those accounts or is it number 10 and people have their own answer? Paul, does Nadine Doris and Nigel Adams have a right to feel aggrieved about all this? Katie has just asked the central question, which is, who do you believe? And she deployed this wonderful word and said, Boris Johnson's line has evolved. And you know, whatever you think about the truthfulness or non-truthfulness of the sort of government line, you know, the fact is that Boris Johnson, well, I would hesitate to call him a liar, but um, what I've written twice, the first time no one took any notice, the second time, for whatever reason, people seem to clock it, is that uh, the truth bores him fundamentally and he lives in a kind of world of poetry 
almost. I think it was Mario Cuomo, wasn't he, who said, you, you oppose in poetry, you govern in prose. I mean, you know, Boris Johnson <laughs> opposes in poetry and governs in, governs in poetry, sort of comic poetry. So I don't, you know, having known him on and off for 20 years, if, if I were Nigel Adams or Lady Doris and my information had come from Boris Johnson, I would be wanting to run a very close check over it. But neither of them seem to be in that mental space. I have some sympathy for Nadine Doris on this in the sense that clearly if you think you're getting a peerage and you kept being told by someone it's coming, that that is uh, disappointing and it doesn't seem to materialise. But it seems to be coming down to, you know, on this, someone should have explicitly told Nadine Doris that she had to quit as an MP in order to be eligible for her peerage. Now, that was in lots of media reports, that this was the, well, you know, a constitutional problem on the peerages. And therefore, perhaps you can accuse Number 10 of not going out of their way to help Nadine Doris get her peerage. Now, given the by-elections are very painful for a government, you can see why Number 10 might not have gone out of their way to make sure she knew everything. They're saying it's not their role. But... That's me when I try at least to perhaps see it from her perspective. I genuinely don't get it because you, you can't be a peer and be an MP. This is very simple, even though we know, uh, we think we know, that at some previous point, Boris Johnson would have liked a situation in which Nigel Adams and Nadine Doris could possibly be both. Therefore, if I'm Nadine Doris, I'd have been extremely suspicious of the idea that I could be granted a peerage while I was a sitting member of parliament. So I don't understand how you could get into this mental space where you thought you would be given one, we announced that you'd be given one, before you'd actually resign. And Katie, obviously the other Boris related story in the news this week is the Privileges Committee report, which is now expected to come out tomorrow, which I think we were expecting a sort of two-week delay, but given how Boris Johnson got his side of the story out first on Friday, uh, has now been moved a bit sooner. So it would now be a huge surprise if the report was positive about Boris Johnson. I think from those who are privy to it, from those who have been briefed on it, it clearly is very negative towards Boris Johnson. Effectively, we're in a bit of a... Uh, if you're trying to work out what precise event led to Boris Johnson quitting, I think clearly Privileges Committee is why he chose to go before he was potentially pushed or had to fight a painful by-election. I think the resignation honours being on the same day perhaps added to that timing, the angry statement, the, the, the manner in which, in which it played out. But yes, expecting a suspension to be recommended um, potentially of 20 days, it has to be 10 or more sitting days to be vulnerable to a recall petition, which is then how you get to the by-election. And there's a question too about whether it suggests that Boris Johnson could also be found guilty of contempt of parliament or at least some of his supporters for the way they have criticised the committee. Now the next political headache for Rishi Sunak coming up very quickly which is how does he handle the report? Now because Boris Johnson is no longer a sitting MP at the time of speaking I believe both Boris Johnson and Nigel Adams have formally resigned, uh, whereas Nadine Doris, at least at the time of sitting down, is, is yet to do so in the House of Commons. But that does mean, because Boris Johnson has done so, that when it comes to um, the report, he is no longer technically an MP. But therefore, if Boris Johnson is no longer an MP, do you have to have the debate uh, which should follow? Um, there's, there's some grey area about that. What's interesting is Labour are very keen for a debate on the report. 
And I've spoken to, for example, one Boris Johnson supporter who said they'd be very angry if they don't get a debate. So you have a situation where Rishi Sunak would almost be seen as trying to stop them from speaking in defence of their man if you don't get to that, because this report is going to be very controversial in the Tory party, not, I think, you know, across a mainstream number of MPs, but ultimately, how did the different Tory MPs vote? And if it is the case, as we're expecting that there is a dissenting Tory MP, as Tory MPs are split on whether they endorse the punishment or not, are you going to see individuals be uh, heavily criticised by their own side? And then what is the role of the government and the leader of the House to step in and protect them without also making the Boris Johnson lot angrier than they already are? Does Boris Johnson have the right to feel aggrieved? Well, you'll have gathered from, you know, our previous uh, exchanges during this conversation, I'm not necessarily sympathetic to Boris Johnson, but actually I am about this, because I think this procedure is fundamentally, it's not a judicial inquiry, it's not like the COVID inquiry. It is a political manoeuvre from start to finish, and Boris Johnson is correct about that. It was a vote by the House of Commons, it wasn't opposed significantly when he was prime minister but you you can't believe that labor or lib dem or snp or even necessarily some conservatives came to this as impartial judicial figures of course they didn't they came wearing their political hat and they will vote on the report if there is a vote wearing their political hat so i do think he's got some right to feel aggrieved about it i thought he gave a pretty good account in some respects in his um, oral evidence. What he could not do, of course, was cover up the fact that there was a culture in Downing Street that allowed these social events or parties, or whatever you call them, to take place. So from that point of view, he was clearly in the wrong, and he's been punished. He's lost his post as Prime Minister. But I'm pretty sceptical about the merits of this inquiry, I must say. And Paul, overall, what are the kind of figures like looking for Boris Johnson in terms of, uh, you know, we know a majority of MPs on the Tory side don't want him back as Prime Minister, for instance, but what would you say as a sort of level of sympathy or or support for him? You've got to sort of think it through. What, what What does he want? He's not on the candidates list. He's not a Conservative MP. So if he wants to come back, my my presumption would be he'd want to fight a safe, in inverted commas, Mm. seat at a general election not a risky by-election he might lose. So the next question is, how much support has he got if he wants to go on the list, assuming that Rishi Sunak doesn't want him, which he won't? Uh, And I think his position is basically quite weak. So uh, among Conservative MPs, he has the support of a passionate minority, but is a minority. I think the thing you've got to watch for if you're Rishi Sunak is not further resignations, but possible defections to reform, say, on the floor of the Commons. Other than that, his support's not great. And even among members, well, we'll do a home survey and we'll see, but I don't think his support is, is what it was. I think where it still mainly is, is in, you know, bits of the right-wing media. And um, if, if Sunak happens to win the general election... Boris Johnson will be on his back in the same way he was on Theresa May's and on David Cameron's. If the Conservatives lose, and you know there's a new leader who will call off the top of my head, Penny Bravo knock, right? Why would this person want Boris Johnson in the House of Commons? Mm. Why would they want him on the list? Knowing that if he arrives, what he's going to do is 
troll them in the way that he trolled Richard Sunak, Theresa May and David Cameron. So his position doesn't look great. I mean, I think it's a great piece to write in, um, a, you know, a sort of right-wing media outlet, even maybe on, on Con Home of, we're in opposition, the leader's no good, Keir Starmer's flourishing, there is only one person with the charisma and the stardust. It makes a marvellous column. But I don't think his position is fundamentally all that strong. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.